Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for these moments ahead. Lord God, we know that uh, your strength is, is breaking through, that your hope is indeed the hope of the nations. And it's, Lord, as we proclaim your truth this morning, we pray that we would hear you in new ways, in true ways. Open us up, Lord, our ears and, and our eyes and our hearts, so that in this, in this season of Advent, Lord, that we would be true citizens of hope. In the midst of any weakness we face, Lord, we know that your strength is able for us to rely on. In your name we pray, amen. Advent week two, hope breaks through weakness. Hope is breaking through weakness. Our subtitle this morning, Surprised by the Spirit. Your sub subtitle is Surprised by the Strength of the Spirit During Times of Weakness of the Flesh or Just Hope Breaks Through Weakness. I want to talk to you this morning about strength. When I was in college, I was a college football player. Not the tallest guy, not the most athletic guy. I know it's shocking, but I tried whatever I could to get my angle onto the field. My freshman year, they redshirted me, which is a nice way of saying didn't play at all. So going into my sophomore year, I wanted to be prepared. The whole team, many of them stayed in Spokane is where the college team was. But not me, I was a fisherman up north. And so I had to try to get strong in the middle of nowhere, Canada on an island. And so... You know, I would lift weights and put a little uh, old school 1980s workout, not like this, but this is just an illustration of strength. It was the old, like, kind of, uh, you know, the metal with the sand weights. You remember this? Like, and we had it in the barn with the cows up at the fishing lodge. So literally, it was like Rocky Balboa styles, down there with the animals, pumping weights, running hills, trying whatever I could to get strong. Well, uh, fall practice to start, which really means in Spokane, you come the middle of August for those days was three a days. It was a hundred degrees in Spokane. The day before three a, three a days started, we had our strength test. This is like old school coaching. Let's bring the players in and assess how hard they've worked this summer. So I've been working really hard, but I was really in no, in no shape for a strength test. And all that was that day, the first day back, everyone's back. Everyone's, you know, kind of trying to, to puff up the chest a little bit and and we did a, a one rep max of our bench press, our squat, and our power clean. That was what we came, like one, like three lifts, and then they were going to assess your strength, and then three a day started the next day. So I went in there like a fool and thought, you know, I'm going to just be strong. So did my one rep bench, and then with squat, uh, you know, kind of a heavy set guy, I could squat a lot. So they loaded up, boy, like 500 pounds, weight belt on, knees wrapped, get this thing on my back, could shot, get it up. But here's the thing, it looked strong, but in the, in the morning, I couldn't move. Like, your muscles need to be prepared for this sort of thing. There's, it's a horrible idea before three a days to do one max, one max reps. Even a worse idea if you actually haven't squatted all summer to try to max out. So I was strong, but I'll tell you that next morning, I lost all flexibility. I was so toast. And then we were going into fall practice, 100 degrees, and as a receiver, running all day. I, I mean, for, for 10 days, I, I was suffering under my, my desire to be strong. I had lost all flexibility. So after each practice, I had, you know, the Bengay stick and ice baths. It was miserable. I'll spare you the visual, but here's the point I want you to hear. At times, trying to be strong, we can sacrifice our flexibility because though we... That we live our lives with, with a desire to be in control of our own story. Really, real strength is being able to be flexible. I want to also talk today about being surprised. 
Because as you subtitle, uh, the, the, the star of the Advent story is the Spirit of God. And, and are you able in this season to be surprised by the Spirit? I don't know if you're like me, I hate surprises. That like I'll literally sometimes think a surprise is happening and then try to like get out of the surprise. And so I'm that guy like birthdays, I'm like coming into rooms like, oh, there's not a, like I'm constantly paranoid about a surprise because I hate it so much. This happened on my 30th birthday. We were living down in Fremont and I was just sure that Heather had, oh yeah, we're just going for a walk. You know, all day long, I just kind of kept like surprise into empty rooms. I was like, huh, I guess there is no surprise. And at the end of the day, I almost started getting depressed that she hadn't surprised me. This, you know, like, we can do this. We're out, we're overthinking. And, and sure enough, at the end of the day, when we go out to just walk down to get something, we walk by a crowded restaurant and a table full of family and friends. Oh, she actually had put together this wonderful party to celebrate my 30th year. Friends, sometimes the very best parts of life you got to be surprised for. And if we're going through life with so, such busyness or such tightly wound control of the way we think life ought to be, we can't be surprised. Today we'll talk about surprise in the character of both David and Mary because God's best stories are often in the scriptures surprising characters. And God longs to teach us this morning about real strength and being surprised by the Spirit so that the Spirit of God can be your strength. Like that's where this starts to live in your life. That you would actually leave this room today more able to unleash the Spirit of God in your life. And so our big idea is simply this. As we're looking at the Advent story through Romans 8, I want to just look at the Spirit of God who architected the birth of Christ and Mary's surprise pregnancy. He's already crafting your own renewal. Are you ready to be surprised this season? Because God's best stories are often with a surprise character and a surprise twist. So we're going to look at the Spirit helping us and the Spirit knowing us and the Spirit interceding us because we really want to give honor to the Spirit of God who's the star of the Advent story. Let's, let's, let's honor the Spirit of God first here. The Spirit helps us when in our weakness. Let's talk about Romans 8. The Spirit helps us when in our weakness. Romans 8, verse 26 and 27, which I just read for you, says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, if you missed last week, you need to kind of look at the text here, in the same way, it doesn't make any sense. Well, in the same way, we talked last week about verse 25 of Romans 8, that if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The very definition of hope is an acknowledgement that we live in the gap between where we're at and where God is trying to take us. If we had everything that we long for, we wouldn't need hope. So the very definition level of hope acknowledges that on this earth that we will hunger for things. And in the hunger, we don't know if it's just stuff we want or if it's stuff we need, but we need to trust the provision of God. We're going to hope for it. We're going to confidently expect God to set our table with the food we need to eat. And then Paul continues, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. In what way, Paul? In this surprising way. It's surprising to hope for what we do not yet have. It, it is countercultural. It, it was countercultural in Paul's day. It's countercultural in our day that these Christians actually have hope, that, that hope is breaking through. Hope is not breaking through. Disaster is breaking through. Anxiety is breaking through. I'm on my newsfeed. It, it doesn't look like hope most days. 
But no, you're telling me, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that we must cling to the hope of the gospel. That in the midst of the darkness, there is hope breaking through. Yeah, I'm saying that. Well, in the same way, the Spirit longs to help us in our weakness. It's counterculture. It's, it's surprising. It doesn't necessarily, at a level, matter what weakness that, that kind of goes to your mind when you think about your own life. But let's just talk for a moment about weakness. Like for some of you, it's physical around anxiety or around fatigue right now. For some of you, it's just merely calendar with everything coming at you and there's fatigue. Some of you, it's financial. That in this, this month of great joy, you're, you're counting the bills. Every one of us in the room, if, if we're honest, we're in touch with weakness. And though we long to cover it up because we long to be seen by how the world sees us from the outside in, the Spirit of God moves from the inside out, longing to meet us in our weakest spots. And I just want to say at the outset that it's important to understand that God never causes our weakness, but he's always able to use it. God doesn't wish your marriage would be really hard right now because he's trying to just kind of rain down pain in your life. No, no. God doesn't cause weakness in our life, but he's always able to use it. How? How might, how might God use our weakness? It's, it's when we turn to him, when we make ourselves available to him. When we say, God, in the midst of this weakness, fill in the blank of whatever you're going through. God, I need your strength. I need your spirit. God confidently says, I want you to rely on me. And I won't cause your weakness, but I'll use it in order to further my glory in your life. If we can turn our weakness over to him. Consistently, in the scriptures, that God uses surprising characters who at the outside look weak. Your Advent reading by the Going Brothers was done beautifully this morning. Thank you, boys. I love that. That we have the story of, of David and the story of Mary. The story of David and the story of Mary, both, what do they share in common? That God used surprising characters. Let's look at just a, a brief bit of that Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Well, if, you, if you've been around church where you're like, oh, I know this story. This is just an allusion to David. And Jesus is in the line of David. David was the great high king of Israel. And Jesus was, you know, kind of fulfillment of prophecy. But for some of you that maybe that aren't as, as nuanced with scripture, like what is going on here? Sprouts and roots and, and trees. Let's, let's go back. Let's, let's look where this comes from. The line of David. The, the shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse. What in the world? It comes from 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, the former king, since I rejected him as your king of Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way, says God. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And if you're an, if you're an ancient Jewish person, you're like, this is totally surprising. The, the, the king from Bethlehem, that doesn't make sense to me. And Jesse... No, I, I, I don't know, God. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm surprised how you want to use unlikely characters from unlikely places to bring unlikely glory for your unlikely king. So Samuel is trying to make sense of what God is telling him to do. All right, surprising. He goes to Bethlehem. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. 
David's brother, thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord because he was good looking, he was tall, he had the gifts, he was the eldest. The world looks at the outside. The world looks at, you know, markers of health. The world looks at financial status. The world looks at your Facebook status. And Samuel's like, I'm seeing here and it looks good. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we don't know Eliab's story, but you can deduce here that Eliab hadn't done work to protect his most valuable resource. Eliab is like many of us. Man, I want it to look good. I want to be tall. I want to be thin. I want to, you know, like, I fill in the blank. But your most valuable resource is the part that nobody can see. It's your heart. And so for many of us, we, we spend so much time kind of guarding the fence lines of our life for what people might think when really we should be protecting the full, most valuable resource, the thing the Lord gave to us. Lord, protect my heart. I don't know what's this Eliab story, but obviously he hadn't done work to, to, to take care of his innermost spaces. Church, you, you can guard while you're waiting for God to do what's next. You can guard your most valuable resource. You can guard your heart. Lord Jesus, in the midst of what no one else can see, will you bring strength to my weakest places? And so Eliab's like, or Samuel's like, yeah, I guess he's the one. And God says, no, that's not how God works. I'm not seeing as others see, I see from the inside. Then Jesse called his other sons, Abdinadab, and passed in front of Samuel. Samuel said, nope, Lord's not chosen him. And then Shammah passed by, and Samuel said, nope. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel the priest said, the Lord's not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons? He's confused. I came to Bethlehem. God said I would find the king. Jesse's brought the sons. And then Jesse's like, well, there's the youngest, but he doesn't look like what you're looking for. He's out with the sheep. He's a little bit of a loner. He's got a good heart. But when we look at him, we don't see the makings of a king. And Samuel said, we'll send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. And so they sent for David and had him brought in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance. He's not, he's not, the, not the tallest, but he's fine and handsome. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And we don't know a lot in this scene, but in the, in the Psalms where we get this robust picture of David's interior life, yes, David was a sinner because we all are sinners. But, but David spent most of his life guarding his heart in order to worship God and taking his weakest spots and turning them to worship, taking his anxious spots and turning them to praise, turning his worried spots and making them hope. If you read the Psalms, it's a playbook of how to find strength in the midst of weakness. And you're like, well, yeah, you know, he doesn't know what I'm going through. No, you have your own journey to live. But counterintuitive to the way that we actually live where we're trying constantly to be strong with our one max reps, and look good in the eyes of the world, and we sacrifice our flexibility and being able to be available to what the Spirit of God wants to do in us. Now, the Word of God is speaking to your life today that the Spirit helps us win in our weakness. And that's Mary's story as well. Mary was pure in heart. When the angel came, she was surprised, but she was able to be flexible. Luke 1, that the boys read, verse 30, Mary, do not be afraid. Mary, the angel came, you know, I've got good news. Do not be afraid. 
And it's, I love that piece. We need another day to just talk about fear. But let me just say parenthetically this, that fear is not weakness. Fear is forgetting who's in control of your life. If you're constantly in fear of each and every situation, you need to grow the muscle of trust in your heart. That in weakness, God, I need your strength. But if we're constantly feeling afraid, we're forgetting. Our strength does not come from the outside in. Our strength comes from the inside out. And so may you fight the fear this season because God doesn't speak in fear. Mary speaks up. How can I do this when I'm a virgin? See, we often see what we're not and God sees us for what we are. If you look at that story in Luke, if you look at the passage, I'm looking at Luke 1 now, in verse 30, when the angel says, she says, how can this be? How can this be? She can just take inventory of her life. She was troubled, and the angel said, do not be afraid, you've found favor with God, and you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. You are favored. God is constantly wanting us to know before we do the stuff, we're anchored in who he says we are. We're favored. Mary, you're favored. She's like, I haven't done anything yet. Because the favor comes not from our strength, but from our weakness. The favor comes in being available to what the Spirit of God wants to do. This, this, where will the strength come? The strength will come from one place. It comes from him. And so this young woman is able to shelter the Messiah. And for the next 30 years care for our savior it's amazing you know we often think of the gospel in pretty masculine terms because there's the disciples and jesus and the male pronoun for father god and you know it's we can think of it often in very masculine terms but in the story of mary we have actually a very beautiful articulation of the feminine element of our gospel and the way in which god uses men and women to to grow his glory and church, I'm deeply, deeply, deeply concerned by a culture that we're complicit towards where the image of God is being marred in our young women and marred in our sisters and marred in our wives and in our mothers. And I don't know if you saw the time, you know, person of the year, the silence breakers. It's, you know, on newsstands now that it's the silence breakers that are, you know, kind of speaking out for truth. And that, that's, that's wonderful, but the church should be the silence breakers. The church should say, you can't treat our women like this. You can't treat our, our daughters like this. And many of us in the room, we've been part of the problem. We've been part of the locker room talk. You know, well, I'm not as bad as that, you know, that, you know, politician or that Hollywood XYZ. I mean, it's day by day right now, and it's, it's maddening. The church has got to lead out. The image of God lives in our women. And so the way in which we treat our women is paramount, not because of a political agenda, but because the Bible says so. Because the Christ was, was brought to earth from this woman who had the courage to say yes in the midst of a patriarchal society, the church should be leading out. We won't do it anymore. And so I'm going to guard the way I look at women when they walk in the room. And I'm going to guard the stuff that comes across my newsfeed. I will raise my daughters and my sons to say the image of God will not be over-sexualized. Not because Time Magazine, but because of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, I made that point. Thank you. <laughs> Let's move on. The Spirit knows us in wordless groans. I'm going to continue to looking here at Romans 8. The Spirit knows us in wordless groans. How could... 
the Spirit know us when we don't even really articulate it. We're such westernized people that we think if we can't say it, then God won't hear it. But look at this beauty of Romans 8, 26b. That we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wordless groans. What's a wordless groan? A wordless groan is unutterable, unexpressed, inward sighing, like the nation of Israel groaning in Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh. It's a sigh. It's a... It's an exhaustion in the midst of fighting the good fight. It's i I'm not sure I can make it, but I will cling to hope that this is what a groan is. It's not bitter. It's not cynical. No, it's, it's weariness and weakness in the midst of fighting against the battles in which faith is being snuffed out. And when we groan, the Spirit speaks for us. When we groan, God hears us. When we're exhausted, you know, if you've ever been like doing the dishes, those of you that, that are dating or married in the room, and you're like, <sighs> you know, and you just, you want, your, you want your partner to be like, what is it? I hear you groaning. You know, and it's like, you know, and I'm groaning at the kitchen again, and no one's even hearing me, you know, and it's like, no, no, but God hears. The Spirit of God hears and actually speaks for us when all we can do is groan. It's hopeful. We don't have to have all the words. We don't have to be strong. We can blow it. You know, we can, we can make mistakes, but if we have this heart of continuing for God's strength to be found in the midst of our weakness, that's what groaning is. There's a contrast in the scripture. There's a contrast I need to lift up. There's a contrast between groaning and grumbling. So groaning, the spirit will speak for us when we're weary, when we're weak, when we're discouraged. But when, when we're grumbling as the nation of Israel, then we're turning towards that, well, grumbling is to make complaint by way of blame. And so if you're groaning, is turning to blaming people around you and blaming God, you're starting to grumble. And you're forgetting that your groans can be prayers. And in weakness, you can find strength. And you're starting to make it harder for hope to break through in your life because you're blaming everyone around you. The nation of Israel, in the book of Numbers 14.2, they're saying, if only we had died in Egypt. God has liberated them, but they're looking at their present situation and they're grumbling. And God has no patience for it. Luckily, we're New Testament Christians. We're buffered by the truth of the cross. But the conviction for each and every one of us, and I want to say something this morning. Each and every one of us is groaning good, grumbling bad, cynical, distance from God, blaming him. I start to isolate myself. And God's strength can come through any situation. We start to put more roadblocks to what a strength can be. Now remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. That's why, says Paul, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so in my weakest points, I don't have to fake it to the world. I've got it all together. I can say, God, in this moment, all I can do is groan. And God's like, now I can do something with you. Because you're finally out of your own answers and you're ready for me to put some truth in your life. As the writer of Lamentations put it this way, yet I still will dare to hope. There's that hope breaking through. I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh. Each morning I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore I will hope in him. It doesn't sound very bitter, does it? It doesn't sound very cynical. 
No, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope in you even when the times feel the most overwhelming, even when my weakness is right in my face, that's when my hope can be the most confident because, oh, yeah, God, you love to surprise us with your hope breaking through our weakness in the midst of your strength. You know, many of you know that when we started this church, first couple of years, we would stream Richard. Uh, Richard's a senior pastor of Bethany Community Church. He really is the de facto leader of the Green Lake location now. He's been in our church for 25 years. He's my pastor. He's my friend. Many of you were, were there before here. We love Richard. I mean, he's, he's a world-famous Bible teacher. He's the best of the best. But you know what it was about Richard's teaching when I was just, you know, 15 years ago in Seattle looking for a church? It was this, it was this realness and the strength available in weakness. It was like nothing I'd heard before. I'd heard religion. I'd heard kind of fake it till you make it Christianity, but there was something new that God had done at Bethany for almost 80 years at that point. I said, I want to be part of that. And so for the last five years, as I've gotten the chance to teach, and you know I love telling stories. I'm a storyteller myself. I tell stories. I mean, I don't know if I've told you, but, you know, there was this one time, Central Washington University, as long as we were talking football earlier, uh, and uh, they beat Whitworth for 22 straight years, but the homecoming game, that same sophomore year, like, we beat them, 90-yard touchdown. I mean, there were touchdowns in my past, people, but listen, each and every week, people come up to me like, man, you know, you know, you know what? Like, you said something last week. And it just has made so much difference in my life. And I'm like, the touchdowns, right? Right? They're like, I got it good, right? And they're like, no, no. It's when you admitted that you totally freak out on your kids sometimes. Because me do. I do it too. Or when you admit that you struggle with pride and insecurity sometimes. Because I do too. And it's like all the time. People say, the thing that makes the most impact in my own journey when I come to Bethany North is the moments of vulnerability. Because we all need reminding that God's hope breaks through in our weakness. There's no all-stars here. Yeah, there's some of us on a stage and some of us not. But before the cross, we are all equal. No all-stars. All of us needing the strength of the Spirit of God in the midst of our weakness. That's surprising and liberating and beautiful. Let's look at the final point here outlined that the Spirit speaks for us. The Spirit, the Spirit knows us. The Spirit speaks for us. The Spirit intercedes for us as the people of God. Look at verse 27 of Romans 8. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Intercedes here is actually a legal term. There's one who advocates for us, who stands in the court of law for us, who, who, who fights for us. You know, it, this is an interesting verse. This is loaded with deep theology. Can we pull it back up here real quick? Because I want... I want you to be able to see this, that, that this is how, depending, this is out of the NIV, because many of you carry the NIV. I often study at NIV and the NASB. But this is how it reads in the NIV, and it's confusing. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Who's he? Well, it could be the Father God, and it could be Jesus Christ. It's not exactly clear who Paul is talking about in this part of Romans 8. He who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit. At a level with the Trinity, doesn't matter. It's, it's God and some articulation. I'd like to posit to you something that's brought me comfort. That, that he is our Father. He's 
the good father. And he's searching our hearts, knowing the mind of the spirit, because the spirit advocates for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And if you kind of get lost in some of that theology, just know this. This basically verse is just saying, God's got it. Like he's searching our minds so that even in our weakness or our groans, the Spirit is speaking for us. And all of this is God's will. That, that we as God's people would be brought deeper into relationship with him. That God is searching us. He's speaking for us. He's advocating for us. He's helping us. All of it through the Spirit of God. I told you, I told you the Spirit's the star of the show. That, that God is, is literally speaking for us. That he's searching us out. That, that, that it's not about us. That God, knowing what needed to be done, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who could have saved us in a moment, and instead God sent his son as a baby to just live with us and just walk with us and know us. Because God's ways are surprising and unlikely and look like weakness to the rest of the Roman Empire was a seed of truth and grace and love, the beginning of Christ's ministry. So even at Advent, we're talking about Easter. Because of who Jesus is, our lives were changed. Because as sinners, Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died for us and was put to death and then came alive for us and ascended and waits for us. And so we're constantly, even at Advent, we're looking towards Easter. And God is searching our hearts, giving the Spirit the ability to speak for us. And so our job in this season, in this surprising narrative, isn't to be like God, it's to be available, to be like Mary, to be able to be used by the Spirit of God. Are you ready to be available for how God might surprise you even this week? Are you ready to be surprised? Surprise is hard for a lot of us because we hold such tight control of our lives. But as one writer recently put it, we determine how much influence we'll have when we decide how available we'll be. So remember, friends, Jesus came in order to teach us to be available for the Spirit. And Jesus didn't come over Rome and into a political system. He came first to a family. And so may this week ahead, may God surprise you in small ways how the Spirit can work in the weakness of the busyness of the season in the overwhelmness of financial problems, in the even struggles of relationship, God, would your strength be present in the actual weakness that we'll embrace this week? Not because we want to kind of wallow in our brokenness, but God, we need your strength. And we know that when we're weak, then your strength is most available. May this be our prayer as a church. Lord, keep us flexible. Keep us open. Surprise us, Lord. Humble us. And may, in our weakness, you bring your strength. Because it's often these surprising places of weakness that God says, now I can give you more of myself. And as believers in Jesus Christ, our hope is to be releasing more and more of his spirit in how we actually live. This is the surprising work of God in us, the people of God. Make weakness become your strength. How? When God's spirit lives in you. Right before I got married, some of my best friends in Spokane, they said, we're going to take you on a trip. I'm like, great, Maui? They're like, no. I'm like, I, I, don't, I hate Vegas. Uh, you know, like somewhere else, they're like, no, we're going, we're going touring skiing in Alberta. 
I'm like, okay, that sounds awesome, I guess. So, you know, they're like, this is going to be great. Like, none of us know what we're doing, uh, but we're going to drive up to Alberta. We're going to cross the Wapta ice field between BC and Alberta. And so we were too cheap to go the night before and get a hotel. We left Spokane at Odark 30, got to the, the base where we were, like, going to tour up and uh, skin up several thousand feet, and there's like five huts over five days. Again, none of us know what we're doing. What could possibly go wrong? We start at like three in the afternoon. There's about five hours of daylight in Alberta in February. We later learn this trip is wonderful to do in like June, not necessarily the first week of February. And uh, we, we, you know, we start skinning up this mountain. And one of my buddies, as we're skinning up on this touring deal, all of our gears on our back, and we're going to go hut to hut. We're, we're now skinning up the mountain. And one of my buddies is just trash talking me. I don't know if you have any trash talking buddies that just love to talk trash. Anyone? All right, we're, one of my buddies is just like, hey, son, you're probably not even going to be able to keep up with us. I mean, just relentless trash talking. And, you know, we're in the parking lot. And then we get our first 1,000 feet and second 1,000 we're skiing up. I mean, he's just John, just, you know, like trying to kind of puff himself up and love him, dear friend, but just trash talking. But as we're touring up and now we're, the, the sun is starting to go down, we look down to our la- left. We're on this calor where it's like several thousand feet dropped to our left. And my buddy's, the, 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 the jaw, he, he hurts himself. He pulls his hip flexor. He, he, now all of a sudden he can't move. And all of a sudden his talking gets really quiet, right? And I fight every, you know, every te- temptation to be like, I showed you, you know. But no, we're actually pretty worried. Because the sun goes down. We have this cliff to our left. And if we don't find the hut we're aiming for by night, there's talk of snow caves. We didn't know what to do. We're scared. We take our skis off. We're now walking over packed snow and ice up this glacier meringue. And I mean, every bit of me is like, this was going to be fun, right? You know, like, why didn't we do Maui, guys? And it, we were freaking out. And the friend that was the most proud was the most silent. And we overnighted in this geological survey hut. And in the morning, luckily, with some, some rest, we were able to find the, the hut. Uh, we, we, were, we were like a half a mile off base, and we, but we found the hut. This is the bow hut in the Wapta Ice Traverse. We found it. And it might not look like much, but after almost 24 hours out in the elements, it felt like heaven. There, there's, a, there's a wood stove there that the Canadian Geological Group pump. They bring you know, firewood up in the summer. So we, we literally roll in just exhausted, freezing, so grateful. My friend just, you know, can barely even walk from his flexor thing now. He's totally humbled by the experience. And we walk in, there's people from all over North America. There's a fire going. They have, like, muffins cooking. I mean, we're like, this is heaven, right? And we were going to go five huts over five days, and we're reading the journal of some people taking trips and ice caves and getting deserted and drinking snow for days. We're like, Ugh. and you know, we just kind of needed to hunker down because my friend, the talker, needed to just rest. But what happened in those next couple days in the bow hunt was remarkable because we were playing cards and telling stories and laughing about college and dreaming for the future. And isn't it like this that sometimes the worst trips turn out with the best memories? On the last night, we sat and looked over the Canadian Rockies with some of my best buddies around, thinking and praying about all that was about to happen in my life. And and we limped out, my buddy limped out the next day to the car, totally humbled by the experience. Friends, we live in such a way where it's strength, strength, strength at times. And the Spirit of God reminds us through the story of Mary and the story of David to be surprised because his strength is available even in 
the midst of our weakest situations. May God's spirit surprise you this season. And may the weaknesses you face be an opportunity not for more of your strength, but more of his. May we be growing as men and women, our faith lit up by the strength of the spirit of God, available to you, his people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church, its heart, for seeking you. We thank you for what you're doing here in this community. May you surprise us. Lord, may your strength be real. There are people in this room right now literally feeling weak, literally fighting battles, Lord. There's people in this room that are, are, are holding on to hope even though it feels like there's a tidal wave coming at them. Lord, there, there's all sorts of malaise and depression and discouragement that's all too easily seen. Lord Jesus, we need your hope to break through. Lord, we need your strength in the midst of our weakness. We long to be a church lit up, Lord, with your strength. That that would be our testimony. That a group of men and women spoke up for the most marginalized. That the church would be leading out strength to all the people for the glory of you, God. Maybe writing new and powerful stories of strength in the midst of what might look like overwhelming situations of weakness. Lord Jesus, we want to be more and more and more and more like you. Make us like you, Lord, and may you release your strength in the battles we face. And all God's people said, amen.